This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. All right, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast, part two of part one that we started last week, which is kind of getting into some peripheral stuff that's going on uh, as we get into something that seems to happen every year. Magic Finance slows down a little bit. We hit the annual reserve list spike, which we'll touch on over a couple episodes starting next week. Uh, and today, last week, we'd kind of gotten into other card games and stuff that people were getting into. And today, we're going to get into something a little more esoteric. You know, artist proofs, yes. prints, original art, stuff like that, as well as some examples and stuff like that that we've got. So... Let's get started on other market stuff. Uh, so as far as magic art is concerned, there are a number of avenues to kind of pursue this. There are artist proofs, there are artist prints, uh, which we'll demonstrate, and then there's also uh, magic art and original magic art, which is kind of weird, but it's basically like one of them is the art that actually made it to print, the other one is some concept sketches and things like that that move forward. Uh, those are hard to come by, but they, they, they do exist. And it's kind of an avenue for people to pick up cards sometimes to have them altered without actually having to alter the actual card itself because it's a cheaper version of the card when you get a proof or a print. Sometimes it's just an easier way to approach that card and pick it up. Other times it's for collections and things like that. As far as art is concerned, this is actually... As, I would say as strong a market as uh, graded uh, reserve list stuff. Yeah. Magic Art has some very deep pockets supporting it, and it's not just the famous pieces. It's anything that's been kind of available over the last uh, close to decade. There are a number of people who were into misprints that eventually moved into art, there are a number of people who, over years, as this became more popular and individuals started seeking out those artists, that became more prevalent. And so magic art has kind of spread around. You know, if you watch a lot of content creators um, that have been in the game for a while, I know uh, LSV, Matt Nass, I believe Huey Jensen, they all have some form of magic art behind them, uh, be it uh, a full original piece or an artist print. And it's just this kind of interesting way to support and kind of show your love and flair for the game itself and it's it's interesting to see because it's one of the few collectible spheres where you have not only your mtg financiers but also actual players mm -hmm. and pros who are moving into the financial aspects uh if you're in any of the magic art groups mtg art market on facebook is one of the main ones mm -hmm. eric frolic posts on there all oh, the yeah. time yeah He's got, here's the stuff, you know, I'm listing, wife in picture for scale, uh, looking to buy this stuff. And it's it's really interesting because it's less accessible than just general magic finance, but it's more accessible in terms of demographics mm -hmm. because it's not just your high-end people. It's you have people that come in and they're like, hey, uh, I, I don't know what the price is going to be. I'm just looking for this piece. Mm -hmm. And then they find out what the price is, and it's like $10,000. And they're like, okay, well, can I get a print? And then all of a sudden, they're on a website, or someone says, hey, I have a limited print. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go ahead and forward this to you, or in the case of artist proofs. And it's something that there's that universal appeal 
because no matter what you get between an artist proof, a print, or an original piece, which, you know, original mountain goat behind me here, it's a piece of magic history. Mm -hmm. So it kind of resonates with that nostalgia that you don't necessarily get in traditional magic finance. Because, like you said, you get these old players, Huey, LSV, Frolic, Kai. Kai is also active in the art community. And, uh, you know, it, they have this, like, nostalgia. Yeah. And it's a way for them to express it. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's interesting to see that, you know, as this has happened over the years, now we're getting to a point where when we reach the magic downtime, so to speak, uh, you see those markets explode. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because you have less need for paper cards because you're not playing as much, but you want to feel like part of the community. So you get the artist proofs, you get the prints, you get the original pieces just to say, hey, that's great. Here's some of my nostalgia. Oh, yeah. Uh, we were talking about this before the show last week. There's a confluence events of events a couple of weeks ago where the original Baron Sengir art finally went up for auction. Uh, Pete Venters, the artist, had the original piece and put it up, but at the same time, you mentioned there was just this other insane auction of original magic art that came through that demonic tutor yeah that, that downplays baron sangir but it it's just now we're seeing all this kind of come to light and we're seeing artists kind of come back to the game or being represented by people with a love of the game enough to get them to do prints of magic art and for a game and an organization that they have kind of disassociated themselves from as well so there's also that kind of unique bit of uh, collectability. You know, um, for myself, some of the stuff I watch out for is like original art from the game that I fell in love with when I first started playing. So uh, behind me, every couple of weeks, I put up another proof that I have. And the one I have from an artist that really loves the game but hates the company is Melissa Benson. So I have uh, a set of numbered uh, uh, prints for Shivan Dragon, Nightmare, and Lord of Atlantis. And I also have the playmats that go w with them because this was her return to yeah. magic art for the first time since the early 90s when these pieces were, er were commissioned. And she went and kind of revamped them as well and did some quote-unquote original pieces in her current style as if uh, she had been given that artist request that kind of uh, layout from Watsi of what they were looking for. And those are actually starting to come to light as well. The art directions are now starting to pop up as well for these pieces from the early 90s, which is also pretty interesting to see. That's actually... Uh, and, Goat, there's a letter right here that I'm pointing to. That is actually Cornelius Broody explaining how art design worked in the early days. And it's something where you see now... Uh, people talk openly about what the art direction is now and that was something that you know wizards was too small to care about mm -hmm. and it's interesting to see how that process has evolved over the years uh and you do have artists like melissa who are coming back and they're saying well all right let's let me see how my style has evolved and they're not really repaints necessarily no but they're trying to give an affordable access to new people yeah and it's it's really interesting because it is something that has the potential to be infinitely more accessible than reserve list. Yes. Because it, it, you can do it whenever. Mm -hmm. You can do these repaints. You, it's as simple as exchanging an email and saying, hey, you know, I can, you have the rights to the art, but I can sell prints. I can sell repaints. I can sell all of this stuff. And they just have to 
do it. Uh, the one snafu, actually, that happened not too long ago is in the art group, uh, the artist posted the originals of the Godzilla lands. Oh, yeah. That's a little more complicated because it's a licensed property. But, uh, and you know, it's it's just interesting to see how that works. Mm -hmm. So how do you track that then? Well, there's no TCG player. There's no card kingdom for prints or art. Uh, the closest thing you have to that is originalmagicart.com, which doesn't have a list of prices. And this is where this facet gets really interesting to me, is a lot of times it's literally someone curates a spreadsheet of public sales and just has a list of what sold one and for how much. And in the art group, that's readily available. There's a couple of artist-proof communities where that's readily available. And there's even artists that just static on their website. If you want an artist proof, it's this much always. So it's it's interesting because the market is so much more decentralized. So it's kind of harder to track these movements. Mm -hmm. But the flip side to that is those communities are significantly more welcoming and oh, yeah. open with the exchange of that information. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it was amazing how easy it was for me to, once I was, once I found the groups to just find essentially the agent that dealt with yeah. the artists that I, I'm looking to, to work with. And that time I picked up uh, my, my prints. I think we both got a set of Mox enamel pins at yeah, Vegas. Yeah, I got two sets. Yeah, yeah. It, and it's interesting, like the, the enamel pins are, are amazing. I think it was the second run of these and this time they were actually made from masks because they look really good. But we were joking about how inside the enamel for proof of auth authenticity uh, is actually a foreign black border artist proof, artist -proof basic yeah. land that is signed and numbered. Pretty great. Yeah, so this, this was a, an interesting twofer. It was a nice little gift that nobody was, uh, was told about. I just found out the morning of the first day of the GP when I picked up my order. And the enamel pins are something that's picked up as well. I think I have the demonic tutor one and it makes this evocative art just available for people in a number of ways that aren't just a play mat or a t-shirt anymore. You can own, you know, effectively another piece of the game. If you want to own a piece of history, you can, as long as the art, you know, still exists. There is that problem that some of this stuff just does not exist anymore. It was destroyed in one way, shape or form or Watsi owns it because their contracting with artists was pretty interesting and has changed throughout the history of the game. But it is, as you said, wide-reaching and one of the more unique ways to kind of embed yourself with the game. And the financial implications are are there but hard to track. Uh, is, it, is it Tales of Adventure that every now and then buys art? They'll flag their booth? Uh, or is it Galactic? Uh, so Caffrey has some. It's the one that's out of Arizona that Dustin Ochoa runs. Okay. Uh, they have a rotating selection of art in their store that's literally just his personal collection. Um, and he'll bring it to booths and he'll buy art at booths and everything. Yep. So it's, you know, that's, that's another way that it's accessible is that you can't just literally go to a GP and uh, see it there. Yeah. And you can trade cards in for it. Yep. Uh, 
the representative for Melissa Benson and uh, Dan Frazier has done that before at Grand Prix New Jersey. There are a handful mm-hmm. of proofs available and a number of original art or magic art playmats, uh, all limited in quantity and I believe either numbered or signed. And if they weren't, you could have them signed and numbered there because the artists were there. And it's become this interesting avenue for... Uh, investment or another alternative way to uh, enjoy the game in all honesty Um, the only thing that it does kind of hamper you is that you know sadly artists do pass away and when they illustrate such things as black lotus and lightning bolt their proofs their prints all go up in value and they become harder to find or much more expensive but that does speak to kind of the legitimacy of this market is that interest as it builds and then especially in the passing of an artist where you know there will be no more released you know it becomes uh, an asset an appreciating asset and it's you know to give I wanted to give an example basically of how the art market has evolved over the last year so uh, I have here the original sketch for Portal Pyroclasm when I originally purchased this, I paid $50. That's it, $50. And I just sold it a couple days ago for the homie hookup to a friend for 200 when I had an offer of 300 because I just wanted to help him out. Uh, and that's the type of thing that you're seeing in these markets is those people are moving into more of that aspect. You get, a, <coughs> you get an explosion and it's just, something that you know you may want to dabble in because honestly i firmly believe that stuff like this it is despite being not beholden to the rl in a lot of cases it's basically reserveless proof you know if you get a sketch or something or a numbered print they're not making more of those so they may do another run but oftentimes when they do another run, it's a different material, it's different color correction, it's a different size, mm-hmm. it's a different... Different pen used whatever. for the signature and the, the signing, yeah. Yeah, or in some cases, the artist's signature changes completely. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty, pretty, pretty interesting to see. Yep. And I, I think that it's something that's worth at least keeping an eye on because it is something that you can just passively observe. And when the moment is right, you know what, I could get a UC or maybe I could get this one of one piece of magic history mm-hmm. or one of 20 yep. or one of 30. Uh, so as far as items go, we talked about uh, prints and proofs and artist proofs are magic art front, white back. And they are usually limited to X number of copies per the artist. And once they're out, they're out until the artist wants to make more. And it's never all the cards that they illustrate. And sometimes you find that you'll get the masterpieces or some other high-end kind of exclusionary art like that done as an artist uh, proof, which raises the roof on that card entirely. Because at that point, as you just mentioned, they will all be signed and numbered, and there will be a limited number of them forever. Unlike a print, where that can be rerun by the the artist or whoever owns the the original, yeah. the the proof. It's only when they decide to make them, and if they decide to stop, you know, that's it. There is a time where 
Mark to Dean had mana drains and time vaults at his uh, booth in the early to mid 2000s, and now you can't find them. You know, no. that's it. The Chris Rush proofs were only done again in the like early to mid 2010s, and then they were gone. And they're extremely difficult to find now, as I mentioned. I think, who did the original Birds of Paradise? Was that Ed? Ed Beard. Uh, Pool. Mark Pool. I thought that was Mark Pool. Okay. Ed Beard did seven. The seven I think. ones. Yep. Um, I think those are both uh, both sought after, but Mark Pool yeah. does more than Ed Beard. I think Ed Beard has switched games entirely. Yeah. Mark Pool will still come out to Magic events, so you can still get the, those proofs. And you know they're. If you wanted to pick something up that's a little more wieldy in regards to size or can be even more um, scarce, the artist proofs are the way can be the way to go. A lot of that though has to be handled in person at the event. It's very rare that you'll be able to get them from an artist directly outside of dealing with them face to face. You'll see you will see them on Facebook Facebook and art groups, absolutely. And a lot of times there'll be altars as well. Yeah. Because, like I mentioned, you're there, the artist is there, you can see what proofs they have. I'm like, oh, they have, uh, you know, they have what I need in, in a proof. I want to get it uh, altered and have a playset of it. So I'll buy four proofs and have them altered as well. And it's also a way to kind of pay the artist a little more uh, directly than just giving uh, a tip for signing, which is, oh, you know, absolutely direct payment. But uh, the yeah. proof is kind of a roundabout way to to also pay for the altar and the the tip in one and it's it's also interesting because that is a market which has actually been affected by covid so the production and everything is still handled by the same company that prints magic still carta Mm -hmm. and they can have shipping delays so i had ordered a altered artist proof of emery and I had her draw Ophelia Drowning, which is one of my favorite classical pieces, and that's what it reeked of to me. And I had, I commissioned that altar to it. It wasn't until about a month and a half ago that she got the Throne of Eldraine artist proofs. So that's another market that's kind of interesting and unique aside, has been affected by shipping delays, mm-hmm. and that is something that can play upon that market. So, you know, that may not be the case with art or prints because the artist pretty much handles all that directly more or less uh whereas with artist proofs you're kind of beholden the wizard's timeline so if that is something you move into it's just something to be mindful of that you need to stay on top mm-hmm. of to say all right well i guess proofs are something i should pay more attention to maybe in a month after the set i'll check to see if the proofs are up on the artist's website yep you know and, and you know suffice it to say that artists are always listed for every type of event you go to be it uh, a magic fest or uh, a mythic championship i believe they they usually have a couple there just you know comic cons anime conventions etc you will actually find game artists everywhere and if this yeah. is something you're interested in you can keep an eye out and as you broaden your scope you'll find that it becomes a lot easier and you know a lot a lot more fun to get into the art for the things you love. You don't have to just buy, you know, the random poster. You can actually buy prints and proofs directly from the artist. A lot of them also have websites too. So if you don't see anything listed, you can also just reach out to the artist directly and see if they work that way. I know, uh, as I mentioned before, 
going through an agent is generally the way to go for a lot of older artists in uh, the gaming community. They go through one or the, two of the same people. Yeah. So. Anything else? But it, no, I think that about covers everything I wanted to get to here. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's really a th you mentioned no TCG etc. But I don't think I've seen anything on like eBay or. Uh, stuff like that. Heritage Auctions actually has been getting into art and prints. Okay. Um, and that's, you know, mostly a no centi thing. Uh, yeah. Because they're trying to legitimize magic art. Mm -hmm. Because Heritage has a history of video game art, pop art, movie art, stuff like that. Uh, comic sells, everything. And that's kind of been the first place that you've really seen outside of eBay an established auctioneer taking hold of some magic stuff. Mm -hmm. I believe the Scheherazade original went up on there not too long ago. Um, and it's something that periodically happens, but that is something that's starting to be more and more in the high-end auction market. That's just something worth taking a look into because obviously at that point you have buyer's premiums and everything else. Yeah. So the price inflates drastically. Mm -hmm. And that, as you mentioned, that's where you're going to find a lot, a lot of that original iconic stuff that still exists. It's not going to be, uh, you know, proofs or prints that you're going to find there. You will find the actual original art for, for these pieces there. Um, but it, it's like I said, it, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty fun, and it's also reasonably uh, priced when you're getting something that is kind of new to the scene or something that's coming up for the first time. Everything's generally fairly reasonable. I think for the the set of moxes that I picked up, I paid maybe one twenty five or one fifty for all five of them, as yeah. as prints. The stuff from Benson was fifty for the uh, the five by eights. If I wanted to go larger, I could have. Um, and basically at that point, I was just paying for the additional canvas space on the yeah. on the prints. And it does require a bit of a, a bankroll to to move into a lot. And I mean like multiple pieces, but for for prints and proofs. But otherwise, you can just pick and choose your, you know, what you want because everything's so selective. And you mentioned earlier, Evros and other people have been like, "This is what I'm looking for. Does it exist?" Yeah. And then that's when uh, anybody who's in these groups that has any kind of knowledge will kind of come come through and, and and speak up on it. I joked a while ago that I wanted to pick up Astral Slide and Lightning Rift original pieces, but I, I don't know if I want to shell out five digits for, uh, yeah. for that stuff. Exalted Angel, Eternal Dragon, you know, put the deck together in original art. That would be pretty sweet, yeah. though. <laughs> it's just a little too rich for my blood. For sure. But, uh, so, oh, good. Picks? Yes, sir. All right, I want, I want to take right. this one because you got a... You went first last week. Yeah, sure. So uh, my pick uh, this week is the amazing sweeper, Living Death. Yes. So uh, I'm I'm bringing up Living Death on uh, EDH Rec uh, first, just so you can see. You know, it's in like it's in ten percent of all the decks that have black on EDH Rec. This is a a sweeper with a heart of gold. And I'm looking specifically at the, the Tempest version of this card, where this art was only used uh, three times. And so if we take a look on stocks, it was really flat until about a Coria, and then it started to tick up from, what is it, about $5 to 7 And right now we're trending upward again, despite a, a downtick. 
And this is a card that right now is 7, has the ability to climb to 10 and 15. And it has survived a, a handful of reprints. The reason I like the Tempest Art is because it's the original, and of the three ways to get this, it's the only one that isn't foil and doesn't have a colored set symbol. So, uh, Living Death, as I mentioned, was printed in a number of sets. One of them is uh, an odd one called the Battle Royale, which used the original art for all the cards, but gave them the appropriate, appropriate rarity colors. So the Battle Royale art actually has a gold Tempest symbol. And there's also a Judge promo that uses the Tempest art and it's uh, foil. And it's not that expensive. It's only like $50, $55 if you wanted to get in on it. If you could pull it in from Europe, it's 23 and I would absolutely arbitrage that thing. Yep. Man, get that guy over here. But this has been printed in uh, the original Commander set. It was in the anthologies. It was in Dual Duck Phyrexia vs. the Coalition. And it was in From the Vault as well as Masters 25. So it's seen a number of reprints, and it kind of ropes for a while if you look at the, the stocks graph. But the, the more varied the EDH format gets and the more creature-reliant it becomes, something like Living Death becomes a premium spell because it works in a number of facets. I want to call this unconditional removal, and people usually use that phrase when you just destroy a creature, no conditions attached, does no color requirement, no power toughness. This is a, a, a sweeper that gets around regeneration, like Wrath of God, but it also gets around indestructibility, uh, like Bane of the Living, Killing Wave, and Black Sun Zenith, but it also functions as a reanimation spell. So it fits a number of... Uh, niches within the format. It plays a number of roles. So in any kind of control deck, this is a kind of a no-brainer if you want something non-conditional, especially if you have a way to deal with graveyards. You know, if, if you don't care about reanimating something and you have a rest in peace in play, just do it. Five mana, just clear the board entirely. Nothing's coming back. If you're playing a reanimation strategy, well then there you go. You just have to deal with somebody else's graveyard or have better targets, and now you've cleared the board and just dumped all your threats back into play right so this this is kind of a, a a two-way player in this regard this is also a card that sees cube play for that same reason or those same reasons if you watch any lsv video uh, from cube season or marshall they will talk about this card when they see it and whether yeah. or not the deck they're playing is a living death deck because it is either a control deck that they're going to be playing and maybe they're going to tuck away a shield right in there or something and they want to get it back or if yep. it's in the reanimator strategy, because you can play kind of a quote-unquote longer game and attrition your stuff to the graveyard without having to worry about having the cards reanimate, exhume, uh, recurring nightmare, you have living death. And in that deck, compared to a lot of other cube decks, you're just going to go completely over the top of whatever anybody else brings back. It's kind of like the card yeah. Patriarch's Bidding in that way. When you cast Patriarch's Bidding and you name your creature type, you know that what you're getting back is going to either end the game there or be more powerful than whatever anybody else can get back. All in all, I think this card has uh, a six to month, six to nine month time frame on it before it goes past 10 and uh, most likely closer to 15. As we know, it's not really going to be reprinted anywhere we just have to hold our breath for the zendikar commander decks i yeah. don't think this is a card we're going to see in that set because they haven't reprinted it as a sweeper they've been relying more on red for that recently in the edh decks and i if we dodge the reprint like i expect we would that gives us almost another full year for this card to just sit there and uh, accrue value and for seven 
now getting out at 15 in a couple months, I think is uh, going to be the, the easy call on it. Uh, if you wanted to, to go in on foil, there's the, oh, it's also mystery boosters. Forgot that one. Um, yeah. The only foils of this card are, like I said, from Masters 25. They're about 850 right now. And the Judge Promo, which is about 55 in the U.S., if you can get it from the EU, they're about 23, 25 euros. If you have a way to ar arbitrage this card. And the Awful from the Vault version that oh, doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I forgot about that. The FTV version uh, is the the new art. So, oh, I might. It's oh, bad. It is. <laughs> the original commander art uses the the same art as Tempest. Sorry, there's four ways to get the original yeah. art. One of those commander. I so, I'm sticking <clears throat> with the Tempest version. But if you have any connections into uh, Europe and you can arbitrage any amount of any version of this card, I think it's just a, a windmill slam on that. Yeah. They're literally fifty percent across the board. Every yeah, copy. and the Every interesting version. thing is if you look at the Judge promo on TCG Player, Card Kingdom sold out, Miniature Market sold out, Cool Stuff is sold out. There's only six listings left on TCG Player. Uh, and there are only about 58 listings on MKM, but a lot of those are at the 50% rate. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty good opportunity to just arbitrage it over and then sell for profit. Yep, and give it some time. Like, like I said, I think and if... I would go in on the Tempest version because it's, I guess, the oldest. It still has the uncolored rare symbol compared to everything else that isn't the Judge promo. But if you have the pockets for the Judge promo, that that's the one I would go for. And if you have any way to arbitrage, then I would start with Europe and then move stock over to the U.S. This is not a card that's played in any kind of constructed format. You could call it Cube Constructed if you want, but that's about it. It's Cube and EDH. Yeah. And if you can get your hands on those copies that are 50%, you're going to win now. You'll win later, too. Um, yeah, the delta on this is just it was narrowing. I, I think we're we're not quite at a a great spot to just step out. It's three eighty for no sorry four fifty, which is up from yeah. when I initially did my research. And all all that's done is climb. Card Kingdom still buying the same amount now as they were when I first started uh, watching this card, but this is where I would be a solid one i like yeah. it it is you know like you said a very casual type of thing and that's that's something you can rely on almost always for a market that grows i also think like you touched on it's not the type of effect that wizards is prone to printing lately so yeah. i think it's I think it's good plus you know tempest they're not going back to that old art we've every printing since has been the new awful art yeah absolutely uh, so I've got a pick this week that kind of harkens back to what I'd mentioned last mm -hmm. week, which was reserveless foils. And I mentioned kind of soft reserve list and stuff like that. Uh, I'm specifically going for the old FNM promo, not arena, Llanowar Elves. The reason being it's original art, it's old border, it's foil. And I started watching this card a couple weeks ago when I noticed some of the other high-end... RL stuff had started moving because I always like old promo foils. You can look back at historic picks, and I pick them a lot. So the reason I decided to pick this this week is because specifically the near mint listings have dropped now to five. Uh, this is something that was at about 20, 
three weeks ago, the overall listing has not declined at the same rate that the near mint has. And what this means when you look at it, to me, is you have people slabbing this card. You have people that are collecting this card to finish out global sets mm -hmm. or stuff like that. And that means whales. That means people at the upper echelon. And the thing that that does is when those people move in and they take the ceiling off, all of a sudden everything else rises up because it can. Because now your near mint copies, you know, maybe $37, $36. Well, when you look at your LP, they're going to be about mm, 28 29 All right. Well, when those $37 ones disappear and all of a sudden that price goes up, you'll see everything else start to dry up. Yep. As some people may get a grade that they don't like, they'll just snag another one, whatever. And that's the type of thing that you'll notice when we enter RL Summer, I guess we're going to start calling it from here on since it happens every year, is your soft RL items, like old border foils, tend to spike. Uh, so it's, it's definitely something that I think is worth paying attention to. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is something that when you see these slabs start to hit, this is a slow burn. When near mint dries up, it's going to be a while before you get a return. So this is more of a long-term thing. Okay. But it wasn't too long ago that you were seeing these in booths for 40 bucks, And then we got the full art, awful F&M? Was it F&M? I don't know. Whatever that promo was that they did that was the full art, no text box type of thing. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Is it Game Night? No, nope, not Game Night. I, I, open House, that's events. it. It's the Open, open House, house yes, that's the one. Uh, and if you look, the last time that this card saw a huge spike on the stocks graph was in the spring of 2018, which was the original reserveless boom. And that's when we hit about a $40, $50 market on it. And it's gradually trickled back down to the point where we're sitting at around 30. Well, prior to that, it was sitting pretty at about 10, 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. So if the same behavior continues, then when this spikes, corrects, sorry, it's a correction, not a spike. Uh, you'll see the floor raised a little bit on everything else. So whereas you may get those LPs for 30 now, they'll probably be about 40 to 45 at that point. Yep. And that's when you would want to pounce. So you're looking at, based on last time, maybe about a five, six-month return. Okay. But I, I do want to point out the, the, time, the timeline of the spike is really serendipitous because it happens between IMA and Dominaria. And so yep. the average starts to tick up on this card but not the market what drives the market into the spike is the news that it's reprinted in dominaria so now you yep. have this card floating in pioneer historic and modern so i players as far as i know nobody's ever asked me for the fnm promo they bought the game day promo because that was accessible or beta when that was still accessible. So yeah. speaking to the collector side of this thing, absolutely. Lending legitimacy to this is the fact that it hasn't really come down after that spike from it being in Dominaria and now approachable by those formats. So I, I think had that not happened, we'd be having a different conversation about this card, but because it is now more playable and constructed and has been given a, a home in more formats, I, this makes sense overall combined with the fact that it is... Uh, an old uh, a star foil it's the original art and you're not going to get either of those anymore 
after this, I would expect the arena promo or whatever the WPN new border old art, whatever that foil is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would expect that to go because it is old art and it has the magic stamp on it. It's not a star foil. So I don't know if it's easy to see on stocks here. Just says magic behind the text box and it has flavor text, whereas the original does not. So I would expect that one to be the the next to go. And I don't think a $30 reach for a card like this is that hard and ask. Like if you if this is a card you want to play in any way, shape, or form, you know, uh, you do you. If you want a card that's going to to raise in in price over time, then yeah, absolutely shoot for this and and near mint or LP, whatever you think you can get. Yeah, right. I like the pick overall. It was interesting to know. I, I didn't realize how few there were on TCG player until you said something about it. Yeah, and it, it's interesting to see because I paying attention to foils like that i haven't really noticed too often when that happens with near mints and this was the first time it popped off and i was like oh well then i guess it's true yeah gotta go for it yeah so that, that's why i similarly that's why i started switching over to just checking on tcg player the L, the combined lp near mint population for the cards i'm tracking because it's interesting to see that there's a lot of noise going on on a lot of cards just because there's such a large population but when you hone in on what people usually buy to play if they're not just looking for the cheapest condition you have a lot of shrink in uh, light play and near mint and something i didn't note when i was talking about living death was we actually lost like 30 percent of the population of that card between when i posted in the discord and today and it doesn't sound yep. like a lot but that was from 22 down to 15 combined lp and near mint for tempest so everything else that's available on tcg player is in a worse condition or foreign so that yep. just gives you an idea of the fact that there's more nuance to the data you're looking at, and you, you really need to hone in on what you're looking for. If you're looking at trying to beat out whales, then going in on the Nearman foil is watching the Nearman foil is the way to be, especially on these reserve list cards if you want to try and get ahead of those people. The moment you see the population of, of Nearman and, and LP start to dip, that's it. you got to make your move. Otherwise, you're just going to be behind and possibly miss so yeah and it's it's worth keeping an eye on because if you can get ahead of the whales your margin is significantly better mm -hmm. you may not move as much but the one you move you'll make more on than you know if you'd bought in a little bit later and moved 20 yeah exactly so but uh i think that's going to be it for this week guys next week we will be back to talk a little bit about the uh, kind of reserveless summer what we're seeing and you know how to handle it and what's going on some of the comparisons to spikes prior but until that, we are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Patreon, Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Music. Podcast. Podcast. Not music. Podcast. We don't make jams yet. But One day. Maybe. <laughs> you can find me. You kind of do. That's true. I'm, I'm going to Nash to do that next week. It'll be thrilling. Nice. Uh, otherwise, if you want to reach out to me directly, I am at Halt I am Reptar on Twitter. You are... At Thirsty Sizzler. I'll see you guys next week.